Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. Good morning. Welcome. Glad that you guys are here. Go ahead and grab your Bible. Open up to Matthew chapter 16. We are in our sermon series talking about who is Jesus. And so Matthew, again, there's so much that could be written about Jesus. And the the, uh, apostles, as they were writing, just kind of knew we can't contain it all. Can't write it all. Shoot, even what we are going to write, most people probably not even going to read that. But they picked real specific stories. They uh, picked specific moments in the life of Jesus because There was something that they really wanted to pass on. They didn't want us to miss. And so as we're walking through this, this is Matthew's gospel, just his account to the whole life of Jesus. So even as we're walking through specifically with Matthew, uh, even in our study, we reference it a lot, but we have to look at the other gospel writers to get get a more full picture. And and we'll do that a couple times here. But they're picking specific things. Why? Because we want you guys to know who Jesus is is. I mean, the whole gospel can be written down about that. Who is Jesus? Read the gospels. But right in here, Matthew is picking very specific things. And so he starts, uh, we're picking up in verse 21. If you remember last week, Peter does this awesome thing, talks about, hey, you're the Christ. And Jesus is looking at him saying, hey, my father uh, revealed this to you who is of heaven. I'm going to build my church upon that statement. In verse 20, he says, then he strictly, Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so starting this morning, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay, doctrine of rewards right there, repay each person according to What he has done, yes, Jesus is going to come and repay us according to what we have done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so Jesus first reveals there in verse 20 that he's the Christ. And remember last week we talked about that's the same word in the Greek as in the Hebrew, Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ... And that, that word's Greek, and so in the Hebrew, we're saying Jesus is the Messiah. 
So he's revealing to him, I'm the Messiah, that appointed one, the one that you've been waiting for in all the Old Testament, and all these prophecies and all these pointing to's. I'm the guy. Here I am. The promises of God are being fulfilled in him. And so he reveals that, but now he looks and he reveals his work. And all of these are Old Testament prophecies. I was going to line them out, but I thought, no, we need to keep this. We'd get bogged down. But when he says, hey, I got to go to Jerusalem, I got to suffer many things from the elders, the chief scribes, the priests and the scribes, that's a prophecy, to be killed and on the third day be raised. We can, we can go back through the Old Testament that that was prophesied that that was going to happen to the Messiah. We can see that it was plainly written to them. And so just to sum it all up, go to Isaiah, Isaiah 53. We're going to point to one spot in the Old Testament that shows what the Messiah was going to do. <clears throat> Isaiah 53. Read a few verses here. Starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So we're going to destroy, we're going to pierce this guy, we're going to crush him, and it's going to bring us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And all like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can keep reading all the way to the end of it. And it just keeps pointing to the Messiah, to Jesus, that he's going to be this suffering servant. That he's going to take on our sin, our iniquity. He's going to bring righteousness to us. And so when Jesus plainly tells them who he is, which is directly tied to what he has to do, what he will do in obedience to the Father going to the cross. This is all Old Testament prophecy, which is just another evidence for us that he truly is who he said he is. Like most of us really don't get to pick our death unless you just want to take your car right off a cliff. I guess you got a choice. I hope I go quietly in my sleep, unlike everybody else in the car, going off the cliff, <laughs> screaming and crying, right? There, there's a few ways that doesn't sound fun to me whatsoever. Don't, don't like the idea of drowning. Don't like that. That just doesn't sound like fun. Don't wake up in the morning thinking, you know what? But Jesus knew, even not just his birth, not just his ministry, but even his death was prophesied. And he knew the scriptures. He definitely knew Isaiah. No wonder when you think of him in the garden and praying the night before all this is going to go down. And he was literally sweating blood. I get it. He just the little parts I, we read in Isaiah. Smitten, crushed, pierced. I don't know if I signed up for that. Lord, if there's, a, if there's another way out of this, you got another cup, I'm all for it, but... Let your will be done. And so he shows what his work is to be. 
going. And he, I mean, even from the very beginning at his birth, it's, hey, this is, he's going to save his people from their sin. And everybody in the Jewish context understood what that meant. You had to go get a lamb and you, and they had this kind of spiritual ceremony where they put their their sin on this lamb and then they killed the lamb. And so to say, oh, he's going to take away the sin of the world. Well, I wonder how he's going to do that. He's going to pay for it. Is he going to, he's going to challenge it to a basketball contest? Like, how is he going to, that didn't need to be explained. That's how sin was taken care of in that Old Testament sacrificial system. The only problem is they had to do it year in and year out and year in and year out. Then he comes as a sacrifice to sin once for all, is what Hebrews tells us. That we don't have to run to the temple and to the altar with the blood of goats and bulls, but the blood of Christ is sufficient for all. So all of this prophesied and pointed to. And the disciples, you know, they were just sitting there like, oh, absolutely. Totally understood everything that was supposed to happen. It all clicked. It all made sense, right? <laughs> Not at all. Look at, look at John, uh, Luke. I was going to say John. Look at Luke. At the very end of Luke, I love this line because it makes me feel like I can resonate with these guys. Luke 24. This is after uh, Jesus has went into the tomb. He is resurrected. They go to the tomb. It is empty. Got some angels there talking to him. And the angel said, uh, verse 6, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you? Remember how he told you while, you, while he was still in Galilee? They're referencing this moment right here in Matthew. Remember how he told you when you were still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. See, if they truly understood, they should have just been camping out of the tomb like Best Buy on Thanksgiving, right? Just waiting for it. I don't know what it's going to mean, how this is going to happen, but he's, he's rising, raising from the dead. What, what's the grammatical there? Raising, rising. He's going to come up out of that tomb on the third day. And they should have just been camping out waiting, which still would have been insane to the world around them. Like, why are you camping out by a dead man's tomb? He told us. He's coming back from the dead. They were nowhere to be found. He rolls out of that tomb to a woman, which again is another great evidence because a woman's testimony in this era, sorry ladies, did not hold any weight. So if they were making up the story, they would have had all the disciples lined up there looking pretty, ready to go, cheering him on as he walks out of the tomb. But it was Mary. It was a woman. And the rest of them were all back fishing, hanging out, licking their wounds, crying, because they didn't understand. They missed it. And what's crazy is you see Peter, you know, last week we talked about how he goes from saying, hey, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. He's like, all right, good. You are right in saying that. My father has revealed that to you. Now let me tell you what that really means. Because obviously you're going to miss it. And so now Jesus describes what his ministry is going to end and what it's going to look like. And Peter pulls him aside, says, we got to talk. And what's so crazy is Peter, the same Peter who God reveals who Jesus is as the Christ, he becomes this rock, now speaking like Satan, now becomes a stumbling block. 
It's like this, the rise and the fall of who Simon Peter was. Because Peter had crazy boldness and confidence to go up to tell Jesus, hey, let me, let me pull you aside here, Jesus. I don't know if you've heard, but I'm Peter. God reveals things to me about you. And, and this whole thing, you, Jerusalem, scribes, killing you, suffering, no, no, no. That's not going to happen. And if you think the, the boldness, the confidence, I think Peter got a little too full of himself, a little bit of pride hit him. That yes, God did speak through him and use him just a moment ago. And then he goes up to Jesus and says, hey, what you just said there, no, no, I, I was right. You are the Christ. Now let me continue to tell you how I'm right. And Jesus literally just kind of turns his back on him and says, get behind me. That word Satan literally is just a describing word. It's an adversary. So when we talk about the person of Satan, it just means the Satan is how it's actually described. It's like you are the adversary. So it's like you're, you're, you're getting in the way of this. You're literally a stumbling block to what God wants to do. And the part that Peter totally missed is what he said didn't line up with any of the scriptures. And as a good Jewish boy, he would have known them. But what he is talking about is not lining up with the scriptures, and it's in direct contradiction to the spiritual authority over his life. Here's the problem. That same thing can happen to us. That we can say a lot of really cool, spiritual-sounding things, but it doesn't line up with scripture. I struggled in my faith as a teenager because I was told by someone that God won't give you more than you can handle. Problem is, you won't find that in the Bible. Corinthians says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your able, and he will provide for you a way of escape, but he will absolutely give you more than you can handle so that you depend on him. And so we, there are times that we try to be encouraging to one another, and we're saying spiritual sounding things, but the problem is it doesn't even line up with the word of God. And especially at this, this part of scripture where he's talking about, hey, the Messiah is going to go and suffer. Peter's probably thinking, I didn't sign up to have a suffering Messiah. Not my Messiah. Not my version of who I want. And we do the same thing to Jesus. We don't let scripture tell us who is Jesus. We set it up in our hearts and say, this is what I need out of Jesus. It's almost like, like a build your own Messiah, build your own Jesus. Like I really love that love and that grace and that mercy. That sounds really good. Love the forgiveness of sin. Don't like the suffering part of that. Don't like the pain. I don't want to be awkward with my friends. I want to fit in, you know, and, and some of that, I, I want them to pay for all of my sin, but I still want to dabble in some of it because it's a lot of fun. Hence, it's sin. And we try to do that. We paint this picture of who Jesus is. And, and, he, you know, and then we get so far to say, you know, he doesn't even care about this sin. It's not even sin to him. And, and this is just an archaic book. And if he was here today, he would just love. And there would be no truth. And we would just be this happy little hippie communion of a family. The problem is the same thing with, with Peter. This doesn't line up with Scripture. <clears throat> If Peter, fully know, if Peter fully knew that Jesus was the Messiah, there would have been no need to rebuke him. 
And if we fully know who Jesus is, there's no need for us to add our own additive to it. Anything that we're going to put on Jesus that is apart from Scripture does not make him better. It's already perfect. Anything that we add to him is only going to knock him down. Anything that we add to him, he's already perfect. He's everything that we need. It's not like God went, you know what, 95% of who Jesus is coming on the flesh, and, you know, just that 5%, you just add to whatever you want. No. If Peter fully knew that Jesus was the Messiah, there was no need to rebuke him, because in the same way, that's what we do. We rebuke Jesus when we tell him what we want out of him. And listen to what Jesus says to Peter. And how can we be so naive to think that he's not saying the same thing to us when we try to put our own attributes and what we want to see in Jesus? Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand. You don't understand. Just get behind me. This isn't about you. This is about, this is Jesus speaking. This is about me in obedience to the Father in his will and his plan, not about what you want out of life. And so how does Peter fall so far so quickly? I mean, again, going from one statement that like Jesus is praising him, like almost looking at him and looking at the other 11 being like, okay, dweebs. Sorry to look at you there, David, when I said dweeb, didn't mean that. <laughs> Isn't that so convicting when the pastor looks right at you, you know, and says something, he's like, what does he know? I don't think Dave's a dweeb. I just, just scanning and it just happened. But it's like, he's, he's talking to Peter. Peter says this, and he's like, look at you, dweebs. Like, you don't even, like, be like Peter. Get revealed to from the Father. Understand who I am. Like, this is who you need to be. Peter's like, told you, boys. And then just in a matter of moment, then to say something really stupid, that's why I think Peter was a good communicator of the gospel. You could say something really good and then really stupid in the same sentence. I think Peter was a preacher. I resonate with him in that. Some of you caught that. Peter didn't fail in the identification of the Messiah. He got that right. He was praised for that. Even Jesus said, you're right. Now, don't tell anybody. But he lost faith in the application of the Messiah. See, he knew who the person was. But then when we're talking about, okay, how does that apply to the world, like in the Messiah coming, and how, what does this mean for us? Nope. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that idea of you, Jerusalem, suffering, being killed. If anything, you would have thought Peter would have said, what do you mean at the end there, raised on the third day? Okay, we've seen people get killed before. We've seen people suffer before, especially at the hands of the religious elite. We get that. But you've added something that we've never seen before. You're gonna, what, what did you mean by that? But no, that's not where Peter went. And the same for us. Our faith is in both the person and the work of Jesus. If we try to separate the two, we have an inaccurate faith. If we try to remove the cross from the life of Jesus, we have an inaccurate faith. If we try to soften the cross, if we try to diminish it in any manner, you're diminishing Christ. He even says, 
on the night that he was born, this is Hebrews, a body you have prepared for me for what? Sacrifice. That's the true night before Christmas. It's actually in Hebrews. So Jesus is the Messiah, not just in who he is, but in what he does. And the fulfillment of prophecy is just those tidbits of understanding that God has spoken through those prophets to show this is him. There's going to be no other like him. That's what it means that he's the Messiah, the appointed and anointed one, set apart. There's nobody else like him. You're not going to have to struggle to try to find who he is. I'll make it clear to you. And he does. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you're just setting your mind not on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. Because see, the things of man, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. We got that part. But we need this political leader. Like, have you heard of Rome? Have you studied the sin of Rome and just how horrible? We need somebody to reform and, and deliver us out of this. You know, like how you did that whole thing with the Israelites in Egypt. Rome is our Egypt right now. Don't know where the Red Sea is, but there's a river. Like, whatever you need to do, Lord. But we need to be delivered out from under Rome. See, when we set our mind on the things of man, and as Peter was doing that, they're looking at Jesus just in that political leader. And I think we can be guilty of the same way. When we look at our life, and whatever pain, suffering, hurt, whatever situations that we're in, not because of our stupidity. Like some of us are just going through some really hard times because we're stupid, right? Those are called consequences. And there's a difference between consequences and suffering, okay? So if you do something stupid and you're paying the consequences, you can't be like, oh, I'm suffering. Why? I got two broken legs. I'm suffering. What'd you do? Jumped off a three-story building. No, you stupid. <laughs> you're not suffering, should have stayed in the building. But sometimes there's just things that happen in our life that we have no control over, and it just happens. And there's nothing that we could have done to change it or to make it better, to avoid it. It just, we live in a sinful, broken world, and, and it's not even our sin that we go through. Like, my cancer was not a direct correlation to anything in my life. There's not something I should have done better or different not to get cancer. It just happens. You just get cancer sometimes. Now, can you get cancer from something that you do? Yeah. It can be a direct correlation. It can. But sometimes it just happens. Like, think of when Jesus healed that blind man. You know, the Jews had this belief. It was like, it, it, if you had any kind of illness, it was because of direct reflective sin. Was it this person that sinned or was it his parents that had sinned? He's like, shut up. has nothing to do with that. But it was an opportunity to give glory to God. And that's a hard thing to think about when you're going through a really painful, low valley thing. But how could this give glory to God? How could I use this moment to give glory to God? And so when we're setting our minds on the things of men, usually what we're trying to say is, I don't want that. The very thing that you're bringing into my life that is going to be used by you as an instrument of your grace and your mercy and your love, I don't want that. It's kind of like in band class, like who really wants to play the trombone or any of those instruments? I'm not good at any of those things. They would have handed me a French horn and be like, nah, I don't want to play this. I don't even know which end is up and down. I don't even know what to do. 
I don't want this. And we do the same thing, that when God brings something into our life, let it be personally, within our family, friends, whatever it could be, here is an opportunity that God has given us, an instrument to use to praise him, to bring just a melody of his grace. And what do we say? I don't want to play that. I would rather have my comforts than to have you conforming and transforming my life. And so even us, guilty as charged, happens in the church all the time. I just want God to deliver me from this. Or we ask questions like, why did God allow this to happen? Sometimes it just happens. I don't understand. I don't know why I got cancer. Still waiting on that one. The doctors couldn't answer that one. And sometimes we're not going to have those answers. But you know what we can do with it? We can maybe look beyond ourselves, see the situation, see, for a, see it as a, a platform and an opportunity. Because again, everything that we struggle with, everything that we deal with, everything that we've ever been affected by, you're not the only person. And that there are people that are going through the same thing. And I firmly believe there is something in us that really, when we feel connected to a person that is going through the same thing. And so we can look at another individual that's going through a very similar situation and say, I know where you're at. I know what you're feeling and I know what you're thinking and I know the struggles that you're having, but I know a way out. And his name's Jesus. Yeah, but you don't understand, why did I get this? I don't know. And I don't know why I got it either. Or I don't know why we have to walk this road. But what's beautiful, and we sang about it, where's that road lead? Home. Now, we could pull off on the side of the road and sit and bicker and talk about which direction we need to go. But we can just go home and walk with Jesus. Jesus is telling Peter, set your mind on the things of God. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's the suffering servant. He's cut off by his own people, is what Daniel tells us. He's going to bring righteousness over sin as an offering for guilt. And he's going to make intercession. He's going to make peace where there is no peace. How's he going to make peace? Like, who, who's in conflict that he needs to make peace? Us and God. That without Christ, we, we try to diminish the cross in any way. What we're saying is we really don't want peace with God. I just want my life to be better. But he came to bring intercession. He came to bring peace. He is that, uh, one of Peter's epistles says that he's that mediator. There's God and there's man and then there's the man Christ Jesus. He's that mediator between us and God. Priest, prophet, king who came to bring peace so that we could be at peace with God. So if we try to diminish anything that Jesus is, anything that he is doing, understand what we're saying. I don't want the cross and I don't want peace with God and I don't want the best that you have for me. Because we have, to, we have to step out in faith and understand that, that God, that Jesus, has our best interest at heart. We don't even have our best interest at heart. You ever make a stupid decision? You ever think, oh, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. 
They can be small, big, whatever. You know, we don't even have our best interest at heart. We'll make stupid decisions that we know I should not do that. Like eating two McRibs. Somebody brought that up to me. They said they saw a commercial and they both looked at each other, him and his wife, Pastor Nick. I know I don't need the second one. None of you have to convince me. Some of you are trying to convince me on the first one, but that's going to be a tough hill to fight. I know I don't need the second one. But I do not have my best interest at heart. I have my gluttony at heart. But we need to set our things on God. Set our mind on the things of God. Because he has his, our best interest at his heart. And so whatever he is bringing into your life, whatever situation you're walking through, it's going to be all different. you imagine if we just took the rest of the morning and say, okay, we're going to start over here with the dweeb and ask him. (laughs) I promise you, I really do love this guy. But there's things that each of us are going through, and they're all going to be different. And what's beautiful is that's why we need the body, so we can lean on each other. We hold each other up, that we can be held, sometimes even literally. Sometimes sometimes feels good to get a good hug, right? Nothing wrong with that. But that's what we need. But we need to set our minds on the things of God. And so how do we do that? How do we set our minds on the things of God? Well, obviously, we have to surrender our personal desire. We have to stop at some point in our life and say, you know what? It isn't about me anymore. And that's really hard because when we were little, we were trained up that way. You cry a little bit, they'll bring you some food. You cry a little bit, they'll change your clothes. You cry a little bit, they'll pick you up. I'm still trying to cry and get that. Doesn't work so much. But we need to surrender our personal desires. It is not about us. And this, as soon as we can come to that realization that my life is not my own, but I've been bought at a price, that's, I think that's a verse. Galatians. Our life is not our own. It is not about us. It is about him. We have to surrender our personal desires and understand that, you know, now, is there stuff that I'm interested in and I like? Well, yeah. But those are platforms not to indulge myself, but those are platforms and opportunities to reach out to other people. So we surrender our personal desires. We need to meditate on God's word again. It's called special revelation for a reason, meaning that there's nowhere else that we're going to be revealed to and revealed from that Jesus is the Christ. There's nowhere else that there's going to be the revelation that he loves us and that he would never leave us nor forsake us. You can walk as many trails as you want around the Ozarks and around the world and see the beautiful creation, but nowhere else is going to tell you that he so loved you that he sent his one and only son. Yeah, go take that walk, take that hike. Meditate on the word of God while you do it and then spend some time in prayer. And not just like praying before you eat, you know, for all we eat, for all we wear. Thank you, Father, amen. That's, that was the little prayer my grandparents taught me when I was a kid. You know, not just before we eat and at bedtime, but take some time. Maybe let it be that hike or a run. You know, yeah, you can listen to a podcast and whatever's going on. You can listen to music. Or you can just listen to the Lord and just let him speak to you. And take some serious time and meditate on the word of God and meditate on him in prayer. And remember, Jesus, not 
our circumstances, not our situations, not our own emotions, not our own desires, not our successes and failures. Sometimes we do that. We think, oh, if I fail at this, this isn't what I'm supposed to do, if I'm really good. None of that. It's Jesus that guides us. It's Jesus that guides us. Not any of those other things. We look to Jesus. Because here's the, here's the struggle that we can have. If we have already decided what we want to do or what we want in our lives, and we're only coming to Jesus so he could like stamp approval on what we want out of life, we're really not setting our minds on the things of God. And that happens. I've had teenagers do that. They'll come up and be like, uh, I got this going on in my life. Is this really sin? And they're just looking for a pass. And we do the same thing to Jesus. Hey, this is what I really want out of my life right here. If you could just sign right there on the dotted line, I'd really appreciate that. If you could, thank you. And Jesus is looking at it like, that's, that's not what I want. That's not what I have for you. But when we try to approach it that, and we try to, again, put a little spirituality on it, oh, I, just want, I just want to be where the Lord wants me to be, and I just want to do what the Lord wants me to do, it's already written there, plain black and white, and if you have a good Bible, a little bit of red. Be holy, for I am holy. Show the fruit of the Spirit. We don't have to sit and wonder who and what God wants us to be. He wants us to be his church. There doesn't need to be a whole lot of discussion on what that means. Well, how do we respond to people that live differently, that vote differently, that took the shot or didn't take the shot? Love them. Love them. What would Jesus do? And they have a new little movement trying to answer it. He would love first. Start there. It's a good little starting spot. It's where he started. We don't have to wonder that. But when we look at our lives and we talk about what we want out of life and we try to bring it to Jesus to get that stamp of approval, we're not setting our mind on the things of God. We're still center-focused. We're still sitting on the throne of our heart. We have to understand, we follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't follow us. We follow Jesus. We look to him. One of the uh, early church fathers, a guy named Origen, he said in this passage, he goes, it's almost like Jesus is looking at Peter, and I'm paraphrasing horribly because they didn't talk like this back in the day. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, you follow me. You get behind me. Like, you're, you're trying to get me behind you and me follow you and what you, no, no, no. Yeah, we, we got the little role reversal here. You get behind me. You follow me. And so I wonder if even literally, as they walked town to town, Jesus was leading the way. Because obviously they missed it when he would say, hey, hop in the boat. We're going to the other side. And they're all crying because they think the boat's going down. He already told them they were going to the other side. So I wonder if he literally led, because even the times you hear about how Jesus was hearing the disciples bickering and fighting, you just imagine that, like, I'm going to pull this car over, and I'm going to spank you all, like, don't make me do it, but, and you know, there was times he was probably just walking and just getting so annoyed and have to turn around, like, what are you guys fighting about now? Like, what, what is going on? And as parents, we understand that, that concern, like, what else, what else could you possibly be fighting about? And leave it up to the disciples, they'll find something. It's like, no, you follow Jesus. And so then when he moves into verse 24 and he says, well, if anybody would want to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And the rest of those verses really don't need much explanation. They're pretty straightforward. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. 
But if you lose your life, if you deny yourself, if you lay that down, you're going to find it. And you're going to profit nothing if you're trying to gain the whole world. You're, going to, you're actually going to lose in that battle. That's not, that's not going to work out too well for you. But if you deny yourself, if you lay your life before Christ, guess what he's going to do? He's going to repay each person according to what he has done. And whatever we lay down in suffering, surrender, and obedience to Jesus, whatever we lay down to him, I promise, whatever we gain from him for that is going to be so much greater than what we surrendered and sacrificed in the first place. Not because I said it. I'm going with Jesus on this one. I'm going to go with the guy that walked out of the tomb on this one. And so take up his cross and follow me. There's a lot of interpretations of what it means to take up our cross. So let's start with what it doesn't mean. Taking up your cross doesn't mean a medical condition or a medical issue. If you have, let's go with asthma. If you have asthma, that's not your cross to bear. Sorry. You just have asthma. Get an inhaler and love Jesus, okay? You just have asthma. That's not a cross to bear. That's just something that we live in a sinful, broken world, and then our bodies are frail. We're, we're pretty fragile, especially when you look at the animal kingdom. Like, they're stronger, they're faster, they climb trees, everything. Like, all we have is thumbs and a brain. Like, I don't know if I want to get in that fight with a gorilla. Like, <laughs> Like, oh, I can outthink you? Yeah, he's just going to pummel me, right? But that's not our cross to bear. Stressful work environments, that's not your cross to bear. Having a stressful marriage or like really crazy kids, that's not your cross to bear. That's just life. What it means to take up your cross means that we're identifying with Jesus. Because the cross only meant one thing. Sacrifice. Death. That's all it meant. There, there was no other, in this context, there's nothing else that it meant. Nobody else can say, well, you know, it, it, it could mean this, it could mean that. No, it only meant one thing. It was loud and clear. It's like Jesus is saying, deny yourself and walk death row. Deny yourself, grab an electric chair. Deny yourself, take the lethal injection table. It only meant one thing. Denying yourself. And as we take up our cross, denying ourselves, we're identifying with Jesus, meaning it's not about me. It's not my wants, my desires, my passions, my what. No, no, no. I am his. And I am his. Why? Because he has made me his. So why, why do I want, why am I his? Because he has made me his. So I'm absolutely going to take up that cross and I'm going to identify with Jesus. Now, could there be suffering with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't be shocked at that. I don't even know why we have books written about why is there suffering in the Christian life. Like we have to explain it away. I remember we were in nursing school. We got to go to uh, a nursing home and, and there were some residents there that needed help being cleaned up. And the story goes that well, I was talking to one of my professors and they said, yeah, last year we had a student, uh, they, the first day in clinicals, walked into the nursing home, uh, there was a really big mess that we needed to clean up and literally walked into the room, 
saw the mess that we needed to clean. You can use your imagination if you ever worked in a nursing home. And literally walked out. This isn't what I signed up for. I didn't know that this was what it meant to be a nurse. Then you didn't understand what a nursing job was. Like that, that just comes with the territory. And we do the same thing in our faith. We look at why, why is all this suffering and pain and, and struggle in the Christian life? Like, I thought Jesus was just going to make everything better. You got to do the heel pop when you do that. You got to do the heel pop. <laughs> and, we, and we struggle and we wonder and we're praying, like, why is there so much suffering? And I just wonder if the Lord's looking down like, have you read? Have you, have you read this? Like, do you understand what it means to follow me? Like, do, do you remember when I said, like, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me? Like, is there going to be suffering? Absolutely. There's going to be that. When? I don't know. That's, a, that's between you and the Lord. Is there going to be shame? Is there going to be rejection? Is there even going to be death? Yeah. The church is full of that. And the crazy part is where they're trying to kill the most Christians, that's where the church is growing the most. That almost like this is a paraphrase of a quote that the blood of Christians is like fertilizing the ground to bring more people into the church. Can you imagine that if God called you to be fertilizer? Hey, you're going to go die. Your blood's going to be to fertilize the ground that many are going to come to faith. Now, I just kind of want to go on Sundays and sit there and really do nothing. And maybe I'll, you know, that's, that's all I really want to do. And then when the music's not perfect or the lighting or the bald guy's a little crazy, you know, and no. Is there going to be suffering? Is there going to be shame? Is there going to be rejection? Yes. Is there going to be death? Possibly. But taking up our cross, it's an intentional decision. It's us waking up every day and daily denying ourselves. Today, not about me. So tomorrow when I wake up, it's not about me. As my kids are like, perfect, it's about us. We get daddy for the day. Maybe that day that is. Maybe that's the minister I need to be that day, a father or a husband or a good coworker. Maybe that's my ministry that day. But it's a daily choice to deny ourselves, and no matter what, I'm with Jesus. I'm, again, I'm going with the guy that walked out of the tomb on this one. And what's so hard even now in our day and age, the, the title Christian is starting to get a weird little rap about it. And, and so I just say I'm a follower of Jesus. Because a lot of people ask, you know, especially if they're outside of the church, what's a Christian response and they'll name something. And, and what they're wondering, you know, they're wanting some line in the sand and what Bible verses that do you know. So what's a, what's a Christian response to to homosexual marriage, or to transgender, or to the government, or whatever it is. I'll tell you what Jesus would do. Kind of what he did with a lot of sinners. He loved them. He hung out with them. He got to know them. He's on first-name basis with a few of these guys. He listened to their story. He even shared meals with them. And even in that presence like, don't overlook the ministry of presence. And even in that presence, he didn't condone it. He still spoke truth. But he did it with love. So how would Jesus respond if there was a homosexual that walked past him or somebody that's transgender that walked past him? He'd probably respond the same way if we walked past him. He'd love. He'd step into their life. He'd get to know them. He'd understand them, listen to their story, 
Why are we so shocked when we're called to do the same thing? I think that's what Jesus would do. And we're called to do the same thing, just to step into people's lives, love on them. Well, isn't that going to look like we condone their behavior? Same thing happened to Jesus. So much that they called him a friend of sinners. And thank the Lord. Why? Because we're all sinners. Oh, but Nick, you don't understand. I don't struggle with that sin. He went to one cross for all sin. He didn't go to only a few crosses for few sins. It's the same thing. So I'm, I'm with Jesus. on Well, what's the Christian response? I don't know. Yeah, I can give you the Bible verses. But what would Jesus do in this? I'm going to go with him on that one. And they, well, how, what happens when you stand before the Lord and he's going to ask you, hey, there are these people and you didn't just beat them up with the word and tell them everything that they needed to hear. I'm going to look at Jesus and I'm going to say, hey, I tried my best to do what you did. Tried my best to respond how I thought you would respond. And you would love them. And you did. Because you loved me. And so whatever suffering that's going to bring, I'm all right with it. Because whatever suffering that we have with Jesus, whatever suffering we have for Jesus, it always leads to glory. Because we know the end story. So no matter how low this valley goes, I know it's not the end. Why? Because we know the end of the story. Now, it might be the end of my story, you know. Like, I was fully, well, I don't know if I was fully. Let's, let's pause on that. I was aware, ready, we'll say, that my cancer story was going to end in my death. And I would tell people that. Oh, I'm going to beat this cancer. I'm gonna, there's going to be a day where I will not have cancer. Oh, praise the Lord, Nick, amen. We love that kind of faith. Now, I might have a widow and orphan kids, but I know there's going to be a day I'm not going to have cancer. I know there's going to be a day that I don't suffer, suffer and struggle through this. I know there's going to be a day that I'm going to be delivered from this valley. I just don't know if it's going to be on this side of glory or that. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Why? Because I'm going with Jesus on this one. And whatever suffering that I am walking through, whatever pain, whatever hurt that I am walking through, I know he's with me. And I don't need to fear what's around me. And it could be the end of me. And I'm all right. Why? Because the story ends in glory. He says it right here. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. He's coming. He might call us home first, or he might come to us. But the story ends in glory. So whatever we have to put up with as Christians here, it's worth it. Why? Because he saw us dead in our sins and transgressions and our trespasses. And you know what he said? They're worth it. He looked at us, looked at our sin. Think about that. He knows everything. He knows the sins that you haven't even committed yet. He knows, and that might, you might have not yet have committed the worst sin that you will ever commit in your life. And he knows it. And he looked at us. He looked at the cross. Said, you know what? Worth it. So when I look at my life and what could happen, and I look to Jesus, worth it. 
He's worth it. I'm going with him on this one. And so whatever tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next year, and my normal everyday mundane life of a dude just trying to live in the Lake of the Ozarks with a wife and a couple kids and a lot of good friends, whatever he brings across my plate and my table, all right. Horatio Spafford, whatever my lot's, I will say, it is well with my soul. And that's after losing his four kids and his wife alone survived. And as he stood in that ship at the same spot, the captain of the ship stopped the boat, went and got him and said, this is the spot where the boat that went down that your kids died in. And he wrote, the, he wrote those words, whatever my lot, it is well. And so whatever God brings across our table and our plate, whatever he's calling us into, whatever it means for us individually, us as a church, to follow Jesus, it's going to be well because it ends in glory. So don't run from being used by God. Don't run from being an instrument, this useful vessel to bring praise and honor and glory to Jesus. Why? Because he's worth it. And let it be well with your soul. Father, we love you. And we thank you for an amazing opportunity that the God of all creation looked at us and said, worth it. And so I pray, Lord, that as each and every one of us think through, process, contemplate our lives and where we're at and what our next step is, I pray that we would look at you and we would say the same words, that you're worth it. And so whatever is our lot, whatever you are calling us, whatever it means to follow you, I pray that in unity, our response as the body of Christ would be yes and amen. And when there's times that we need to hold each other up, when there's times that we need to walk with each other through really dark, hard times, when we need to encourage one another, I pray that we would be the body, Lord, that we would be your church. So give us that kind of faith, that kind of boldness. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.